morning. Welcome to Vintage Church Sunday morning gathering. Uh, I have been sort of overwhelmed with joy throughout this week as I was thinking about uh, our body and how God has used and, and formed and um, so specifically placed each of you in this body. And as I was thinking about my gratefulness for you, I was thinking about each of the, I was thinking about the gifts that you possess. And uh, it just, when I think about the variation of the people that God has brought along to this church body, I am um, just so overwhelmed with gratitude to the Lord. Because I can think of a way uh, that each of you serves me and serves the church. And um, for that, I am forever grateful. Uh, you guys have just as much of a role in raising me to be the man that I think God wants me to be as I hope that I have in your life. Today we're going to be in Romans 12 again. We're going to continue it up this section, Romans 12, 3-8. The ministry of the church to the church. And over the last few weeks, we've been discussing what the church's role is in the church. And really, we started off with the entire mindset that the church is the people. The church is the body. Um, the church is a group of uh, living, breathing people that serve the Lord. That's what the local church is. And then larger, the church is all of God's people uh, that serve Him. But we talked about the church being us. And then if we recognize very clearly that we are the church, that we are the body, then we find Paul's um, example, Paul's exhortation to us to be the church, be the body in Romans 12, 3-8. One of the couple of things he taught us, he's been teaching us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is how we must judge ourselves and and see if we are um, in Christ. See if we are a part of that body. We must, uh, we, we, if we are a part of the body, then we are to follow Him, to trust Him. Um, sorry, I lost my spot there. Uh, and then also we talked about how we must function as a member of this body. The church is an organism. The church is a living, breathing organism. And the church is to function in this unity. I feel like I've rambled for a second. Let's pray and we'll start over. God, you are so good. We do not deserve you, Lord. But somehow in your kindness, in your love, you have stepped out of heaven. And you have saved us. Lord, but you have not left us. But you have given us gifts. You have given us each other. God, I pray that as we grow in you, as we see you, as we pursue you more, that we'll be overwhelmed by the greatness of that thought. That you love us, that you give us each other. And we can faithfully serve you knowing that. God, would you strengthen us to do your will? 
Would You strengthen us to obey You? Would You give us the heart and the desire to seek out our spiritual gifts and to use them to follow You? It's in Your Son's most precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Let's try again. We must think of ourselves in humble judgment. Humble, not too high of ourselves and not too low of ourselves. We are one body. We are the body of Christ. And so that must naturally lead us to find out how God can use us for the edification, for the uplifting of the body. And I think the way that He has chosen most clearly to use us is through our spiritual gifts. And that's where we are today in Romans 12, 6-8. He gives us a solution as to how we can effectively glorify God in the body of Christ. So in what we have said about the church and what we have learned about the church over the last few weeks, if what those things are true, then we need a spiritual solution to these, to this work that we have in front of us. If the church is the body, if the church is an organism, then God has chosen to answer the question of how do we develop unity within this organism with this spiritual solution, this spiritual gift. Paul uses the word charismata to describe the gifts, these spiritual gifts. The root word of that is charis. And the word charis in Greek means grace. So these are literally grace gifts given unto us uh, by the Lord. Now, there are 19 gifts mentioned in the Bible, uh, and we'll go through those in their own time. But today in Romans 12, we see seven. I think specifically all of these gifts can be summed up, really, the ones that are mentioned the most and really the way they're summed up into gifts of service and gifts of speaking. Now, these gifts can, these, it's, it's much broader than that, but these gifts are sort of the culmination of all of those things. Now, we, I think it's important that we understand three things about our spiritual gifts that will, that will help us to use our spiritual gifts effectively in the church. Three things, and this is not on the outline, but this is something that you should hold on to and, and, and understand for yourself. The first thing that you need to understand about spiritual gifts before you get into that is that everyone has a spiritual gift. Everyone has at least one spiritual gift. Uh, these are gifts that are given by the Spirit at salvation, right? And they show up in different people in different ways. And those gifts are worked out in you and I. Sometimes I have a gift that's stronger than you. Sometimes you have a gift that's stronger than me. But we all have one. Of, we all have at least one. I would uh, conjecture at least that the average Christian has many, a variation of spiritual gifts. As a matter of fact, that most spiritual gifts can show up in a believer at any time, sometimes in light ways, sometimes in heavy ways. Um, we all have at least one spiritual gift. Another thing that we must understand before we move on in the idea of spiritual gifts is they are dispersed by God at His own pleasure, in His own will, so every gift will be different. He understands, uh, He sees things from a spiritual, infinite perspective, and we do not. So sometimes that person that annoys us most in the body of Christ was actually put there for us. Sometimes that person that 
we think that they are uh, weak in this gift. They are strong in another gift. And we need to be able to recognize that and see that. These gifts are given by God under His own sovereign will and direction and thought. And so we need to understand that. The ramifications are that of this. We, if on the base level, we need to be satisfied with the gifts that God has given us instead of whining or complaining or wanting more or wanting something else someone has. We should be satisfied with those gifts. We should embrace those gifts and see them sharpened amongst us. God has perfectly given us all of these gifts we should be content in what He's given us. We should be happy in what He's given us because He is God and we are not. Something else you must see, and I'll express this again, and it's important that you see, it's not common for you to find it. most pastors say. They might imply it, but they won't say it directly, but I'll say it directly. These gifts, and I, I mean this as literally as I possibly can, these gifts that we receive are not our own. It's... It is the church is used as compared to the to a marriage uh, to a marriage covenant multiple times, and I think this is one of the instances. Paul says in a marriage covenant that our marriage rights are not our own. Our gifts that we have in a very physical manner, right? He says they're not our own, and then he says in this body, in this church, these gifts that you have been given by the Spirit, they're not your own. So just as in a marriage, uh, to lay it out. Uh, your conjugal rights are not your own uh, in, a, in the church. The rights of the spirit, the rights of the gifts are not our own. They are to be given up. I have the right to your spiritual gift because it uplifts me for the edification of the church. You have the right to my spiritual gifts because they uplift you for the edification of the church. So I think when we see our gifts from this perspective, we're ready to begin to dive in and see what gifts that we may have. But I think it's vastly important, friends, that we understand what our spiritual gifts are. So we must, and that's the main point for today, we must discover and practice using our spiritual gifts. We must, just, we must determine or discover and practice using our spiritual gifts. The church is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. She is diverse. She's quirky. She's weird. She's funny. She's fun. She's wild. And every, every adjective I use there, you probably thought of a person within our church or people within our church. But also she is tender. She's compassionate. She's friendly. She's kind. She's loving. She's caring. She's bold. And she's brave. And she's better together and many more. Now we are this way because God has perfectly formulated this organism to thrive. And because everyone is different, this is an instance where diversity brings unity. Diversity is unity. The diversity of our gifts make us stronger. And as we are diverse, everyone operates and functions differently. So, for the type of people we need in the church, we need a few people that drive people crazy. We need a few people that, um, you know, something about, I, I, I hate, I always hesitate uh, mentioning Blake because I don't want y'all to think I'm picking on him. But something that drives me crazy about Blake is also the thing that op makes his church operate at a higher level. We need people that drive us crazy. We need people that are different than us. And as a matter of fact, I really believe this. 
If we are driven crazy by someone in the church, we might want to see about embracing them as opposed to pushing them away. Because what they do in us is challenge us. Remember, we've mentioned it multiple times over the last few weeks. Iron sharpening iron. When iron sharpens iron, there's a few sparks. We need people to challenge us. We have, too, we have taken the easy road too many times in our lives. If we want to grow in unity in this church, we need people to challenge us. We all hold these grace gifts and they are literally dispensed by God as a means of edification to the church. So we take our one or our more gifts and we nurture them. We grow them. We must discover those gifts and we must practice using them. Paul mentioned seven in Romans 12, six through eight. And I'm going to try to go through those quickly and hopefully they will be informative for you. First, he says in verse six, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. I want you to see what Paul is saying here before we even start into these gifts. What he is saying here is we have gifts. We are to use them. Paul is not. He's not requesting. He's not asking a question mark. Ought we, ought we use them? No, he's saying God has definitively given you these gifts. We must use them. And so before we can begin to see our spiritual gifts, maybe you don't know what yours are. We must be compelled to use them. The reason that we discover them more is because we are compelled to use them. We want to know about them. And so we research and we discover them. We must be compelled to use the gifts that God has given us. And then we use them liberally. Liberally. I am, you know, you've heard it said over and over again that 20% of people in the church are doing 80% of the work. I, I won't settle for that. that not here. Not here. Because if you've been dumb enough to hang around here to this long, you realize that your role is much larger than just observer. You didn't buy a ticket for the show. You're backstage. You know, you're setting up boxes and you're, you know, making sure the, the lights and the sound system are working, figuratively speaking. And sometimes literally speaking. You bought in. And so as best as we can, this is a place where 100% of the people are doing 100% of the work in some way, shape, or form. So Paul says, use them. It's a command. Get started working for the glory of the Lord and for the edification of the church. And so he goes on to mention a few gifts. The first he mentions is prophecy. Now, you might not agree with everything that I'm about to say in these next few gifts, but this is the conclusion that I've come to. Prophecy. I think there's an important distinction that we make in prophecy today. I do think prophecy exists. I just don't think it exists in the same way that it exists uh, beforehand. As a matter of fact, I believe that the coming of Jesus changed prophecy as we know it. Prophecy went from for, at the coming of Jesus, prophecy went from foretelling to forthtelling. And I'll try to distinguish that for you today. Everyone before Jesus was foretelling of what was to come or what was to be obtained. 
And it pertained, particularly, Christian prophecy pertained to the Messiah. And John the Baptist really was the first prophet of foretelling. Jesus was alive on earth and he was telling of the revelation of the Lord. He was telling of what was to come in Jesus, not or what has come in Jesus, not foretelling of what was to come. So prophecy then is mainly to speak forth or declare the divine will to interpret, interpret the purposes of God or to make it known in a way, uh, make the truth of known uh, of God known in a way that influences people. And all of this is speaking forth of what is true or what is already to uh, uh, what has already come. Jesus, friends, is the culmination of all truth. And he has given us the last revelation, the last new revelation of him. And those truths were canonized in the scriptures, the holy scriptures of God. So I don't necessarily believe there is any foretelling going on anymore. Everything that a prophet says then must be predicated on what has already been revealed. The fact that Jesus has already taught it and the scriptures have already spoken of it. It cannot be something. It is not a new revelation. Everything, all of our yeses are summed up in Jesus. So. The Bible goes on to say this prophet, this person who lays out uh, what true prophecy is, he must do this as uh, in a portion of our faith is what it says. This prophecy is in a portion to our faith. What this means is he is preaching and I've already sort of given this away a little bit, but he is preaching what, on what has already been revealed to us. He is preaching in a way that the church would understand, that would be familiar to the church, that is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was confirmed in Galatians 1.8 when we read, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. He is preaching what has already been revealed. So what does the modern day prophet look like then? This is the person who examines the scriptures and he examines the time and he speaks forth an applicable truth as it pertains to both. This is a gift of many pastors, but also I've seen this gift in lay people. A gift to see the times and to see the truth and to be able to help the body find its way. I would say for you, if you, this is just a side note, maybe, if you know of anyone claiming to be a prophet, here are some qualifications that they must have. They must tell the truth 100% of the time. If they're going to foretell, it must be true 100% of the time. And even if they do not tell the truth 100% of the time, then that makes them a false prophet as it pertains to foretelling. And the reason there are a lot of false prophets around today is because in the times of the Lord and before that, if you prophesied and it was a false prophecy, it just meant the end of your life. So we didn't have to worry about making any more false prophecies. 
Here's, here's who I think you should follow. I think you should follow the person who looks at the Word of God and he applies the Word of God and a Christian worldview to everything that's going on and to the best of his knowledge and his ability under the direction of the Holy Spirit, he gives you a word for that day. Another he mentions here is service. Now the root word for service here is deacon. But this is not just the role, this is not just um, for the title of a deacon in the body. As a matter of fact, I think that service is probably a gift, at least one gift that everybody has. Everyone can serve in the body of Christ in some way, shape, or form. This is the person who uh, does, oftentimes, does the dirty work. It's the person who goes on uh, unnoticed. It's the person who does things without being asked. It's the person who pursues this gift in the body for the sake of the body without being prodded, without being coerced, without being constantly nagged to be in this position. This person acts as a co-shepherd to the elders because he relieves stress and, tendency, uh, uh, and tension from the already busy plate of the leaders of the body of Christ. He allows the body, he allows the elders to do the work that the Lord has set aside for them, and that is the preaching and teaching ministry. He seeks the needs of the church in service first, and then the higher and lofty gifts can be sought after. But also, friends, this is not just the person who cleans the toilets. This is not just the person who uh, cuts the grass. But this is also the person who is, uh, serves by listening. It's a person who serves by being a friend. By being accountability. This is the person who might serve physically, but also he serves through accountability and discipleship and by meeting other spiritual needs. Service is not just something that is done in a physical way, in a, in a way that you necessarily act upon someone in a way that they would understand. It's also done in a way that sometimes it might not be uh, quantifiable by being there, by being a friend, by being a listening ear, by giving advice, but not hoarding knowledge over people. Service as a spiritual gift in the church. Teaching. Teaching is not just someone who has something to say. Teaching is not just, this gift doesn't belong to someone who has an opinion on things. The teacher must first have a desire to study, to root out, to read, to memorize, to learn. There's a lot of people who can Google and say, but there are a fewer amount of people who take the time to really dive in and dig in and make sure that if they're going to give an account as a teacher, that they are given a good account unto the Lord. It's not just someone who can speak. There are a lot of pastors who get in a pulpit on Sunday morning and say a lot of nothing. It's not someone who can say gripping stories or on-point illustrations. This gift teaching is mentioned in every gift, every list of gifts. 
I think of any gift we have probably next to service, I think teaching is the gift that might be most prominent in believers. Because we are all called to learn. We are all called to theologians. Some might be more strong or might, might be more strongly theological than others. But if we're all called to teach and all called to learn, then a natural response of learning something new is to want to help others in knowing. Even, especially if it saves their soul. Especially if it redeems some area of their life. It's likely one of the most prominent in the church next to service. This gift is not for the educated, friends. Although educated people, people who are educated, they're educated because they have a desire to learn. It's not just for the educated. This gift is for the willing. And this gift is for the diligent. Exhortation. Exhortation means to simply come alongside of. This is a, a counselor or an advocate. The, the word for exhortation here is literally the same root word that is used for the Holy Spirit to describe the Holy Spirit. This is the person who encourages, who lifts up, who challenges, who prays for, who stays around with a person who cannot keep himself up. When I describe exhortation, I describe it in two ways. Uh, this is just the way I like to think about it. I don't know that this is the way, if you were writing a definition for a scholarly paper, this might not be the way you want to describe it. But when I describe exhortation, I think of about it as the way I just described. The person who is willing to come along. But sometimes, friends, how many of you have needed it and how many of you have been there for the person who's willing to come along and drag? Exhortation is not just the willingness to stand beside someone. Exhortation is the willingness to put your arm along over the shoulder of someone while they figure out how to get their feet moving again and help them. You've all had to be there with your kids, right? Sometimes the mouth won't encourage your kid. And sometimes you're not in a place where you might be able to spank the bottom to encourage them. So how do you encourage them? You you get, them behind, you get them behind their back, on their shoulders, even if it's unwilling, and you say, we're going right now. And you push them. And you move them along. See, the Lord, when He talks about exhortation, He's not just talking about the person who says they're with you, but the person who comes along and is beside you. He's the counselor. He's the lawyer. He's the advocate. He plays a role like the Holy Spirit. But also that person who's willing to say, look, I'm not going anywhere till you go. Come alongside people. You know those people that you don't get along with in the church? It might be that they've never had anyone to look past those little faults that they have and say, you know what? I'm here with you. You can't push me away. You can't put up these walls. And I will tell you, the most growth that both people have in that area is typically when they are ministering to someone who is unlike them. As opposed to the people who are just easy to get along with. Now I know sometimes we need a break. Sometimes we need to hang out with easy people. But one of the goals of exhortation is to find people that aren't like you. To come alongside them. To find people that are struggling. To find people that are desperate and needy. To come alongside them and say, I'm here 
while you're here. This is a type of encouragement that can only come from the Holy Spirit. It can only come from God because it takes work on both sides. These people are often involved in teaching or counseling and discipleship, training ministries, uh, and other areas where people need uplifting in the church. Exhorters are amongst the first believers who are flourishing in their faith. And then they spend time amongst those who are floundering. They come alongside, encourage, confront if necessary, and model what victorious spiritual living is like. They are maybe not always the first on the scene, but they are definitely always the last. We need more people in our body who sees their gifts, who understands their gift of exhortation. And who uplifts and encourages. I want you to know that I have been trying for some time to be better at encouraging you to be encouragers. And not always picking. Not always goofing. Exhortation. Another one who contributes. This is a person with a giving heart, a person who opens his home to someone who needs a place to stay, a person who gives over and above what is asked. A per the, the person you might say is the person who would give their shirt, their own shirt off of their back. Now, everyone is called to be generous. Everyone is called to give. But this is the person who does it openly and easily and without regret. This person is not prompted. Now this might not be your gift. Everybody is called to give, but this might not be your gift. This person is not prompted. This person is the person that sees the need and is compelled to give. But I've seen it in, I've seen gifting in people where um, there is compulsion and there was no immediate need. And it's just, I know God's going to bless this. This person is the type of person who doesn't need anyone to tell them to chip in. This person helps the, way, uh, the church not only in a physical way, but this person also helps by being overly generous with their spiritual gifts. This person sees a need, sees a hole, sees an area in the church that needs help, and they plug it. They are naturally servers because... They see their life as a gift to the church, to the Lord. Generous, thoughtful, empathetic, and in tune with the needs of the body. There are two more. One who leads. Now some of you will be relieved to hear, but the one who leads is literally an administrator. He's an administrator. He is one who, his spiritual gift is taking on roles within the church that people like me hate and getting those things accomplished. He sees a problem. He sees something in front of him that is a roadblock or a potential danger. And instead of waiting around for someone to accomplish that task, he accomplishes that task. How refreshing is it? For all of you type A people to hear that there is something that you're already doing that the Lord honors as a spiritual gift. 
It's also refreshing to know that we need both of us, even when my sort of fly by the seat of my pants attitude gets on your last nerve. This is the person who sees, he sees a need, he responds, he acts without waiting. Now Paul says, do this with zeal. This person is zealous to help the church in any way possible. The last I want you to see is acts of mercy. This is showing pity to someone who is hurting. This is seeking after the hurting and the desperate person. This is done. It, it cannot be something where you say, I'm going to be merciful. I've learned this. I'm not very empathetic. So it can't be something where you say, I'm going to be empathetic. It is something that the Spirit must do, but there are things in your life that formulate empathy, that formulate mercy. Being hospitable is something that formulates mercy in your life. Because you actually, you, we say this all the time, well, all I see is the person on Sunday morning. I see, they, they seem like they live a pretty good life. Being hospitable uh, opens your home up, opens your life up, and so you end up find, learning things about people. Sometimes that you didn't want to know, but you end up learning things about people. And when you learn things about people, you learn that everybody is needy and everybody has things that they need assistance in. You all of a sudden you become more empathetic. And when you become more empathetic, you see that it's not just this person that has these needs. Um, it's everybody that has these needs and you become less selfless. And when you become less selfless, you start saying, you know what? If it's everybody that has needs, I'm going to search for other people who might who I might help who have these similar needs. And if you're more selfless, then the natural tendency from that point is to lead to being merciful because then you just act upon it. But it's not something that you can just want or do. You have to open up doorways to be more hospitable. You have to open up doorways to be more selfless, to be more empathetic, and then to be more merciful. These people, when we, when we decide that we're going to be more merciful and we act upon that, the Lord opens our minds to naturally see the hurting, to naturally see the needs. And a lot of times it just starts by praying. Just think about the times you've prayed um, because you had, you know, someone guilted you into sharing the gospel because you hadn't shared the gospel in a while. And you prayed, Lord, show me people that need the gospel. And it's and like the next week, it's like, oh, my goodness, they're everywhere. It's like your eyes were open all of a sudden, even though that need was there. But it's because you're conscious of it. You know, my mom, we bought uh, we bought a Suburban to you know pull the camper around. And it's a it's a nice vehicle, whatever. And my mom was like a week after we bought it. She's like, I've seen that dang car everywhere. I, I thought it was you. As a matter of fact, Millie was saying mama car, mama car, you know, but. It's not that there were more suburbans out on the street all of a sudden. It was that uh, when you get something, when you recognize something, when you see as something as a need, you're naturally going to recognize it and see a larger need. Acts of mercy, hospitable, empathetic, patient, long-suffering. And if we're going to be merciful, we need to do it cheerfully. I think this is my biggest area of failure in acts of mercy. Um, sometimes I begrudgingly am merciful or I'll go to somebody else and jokingly say, you know, how hard a relationship is or whatever, whatever it may be. 
If we're going to be merciful, we can be legitimately merciful by doing it with a cheerful and a willing heart, not begrudgingly. So how do we, what do we do with all this? How do we know if any of these spiritual gifts are ours, which some of them are, I believe, in everyone, and how do we get them? I think the first way is we need to know the spiritual gifts and what they mean. And those are found in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. We need to know the spiritual gifts. What are they? Um, we do, it's, would you know that um, exhortation is a spiritual gift had you not looked in the Word of God? Would you know that mercy was or giving, contribution? We need to know them. We need to understand that each, is a, each of us has different gifts. So we shouldn't be envious of other gifts, but we should seek out our own in order to do the will of the Lord. Um, in, in, the constru in construction business, I'm sure it's in other terms too, People talk about trying to maximize your money and they, they use this term, don't step over a dollar to make a dime. You know, that's like, don't seek after something later when it's there or when you've got a better opportunity in front of you that you're passing over. And this applies in the church and with spiritual gifts. Sometimes we are so desirous of what someone else has that we miss how God is trying to actively work in our lives and our own gifts. Listen, if you're good at administration, don't wish that you could preach. If God has gifted you in administration, be an administrator. Is he, if He has gifted you in service, don't wish that you were a better administrator. Take the gifts that God has given you and use them to the best of your ability. Recognize them by seeking after those things and not what everybody else has or what you think you should have. It says a lot of things about you. It says firstly and most importantly and sadly that you don't trust in the sovereignty of the Lord. We need to understand that each of us has different gifts. Another way we can discover is this, and we think about this in sort of a hypothetical manner, but if I put you in a room with a bunch of people and different objects and different conversation starters, what would your natural tendencies be other than to go into a corner? Something other than that. What would your natural tendencies be? Would they be to, uh, you see someone working on a puzzle or you see someone over in the corner working on some project. Would it be to run over there and see if you can find a solution to the end? Or you see someone who's cleaning up a mess and would it be to go over there and help them clean up the mess? So one way to be, would be to imagine what you would be doing if a service, say a time of service came up, a time to find your spiritual gift came up. So what are our, what are your spiritual gifts? What are they when you're thinking about them? You've got to think about them deeply. What do you like doing? What have you had fun doing? But another one that's most important is do other people confirm this in you? Here's an example you need to see. The church is a confirmation of your spiritual gifts. Just like the church is a confirmation of me as a leader. If all of a sudden everyone walks out and doesn't come back, that's good confirmation that I shouldn't be leading. Right? Because a confirmation of a leader is people that follow him, right? But it's the same way in the spiritual gifts. If you, have a, if you believe you have a spiritual gift and you're qualified for that gift, then the church will confirm that. Listen, if you, have, if you think you have the spiritual gift of preaching, but you can't preach a lick, there's a, 
you, can, you either can learn and develop over time, or you don't have the spiritual gift of preaching. There are some spiritual gifts that people just don't, it just doesn't demonstrate itself in their lives. So other people confirm it. I would say that most of us have a portion of all of the spiritual gifts. But how those develop and show up in our lives prominently will be seen by our willingness to surrender to who we are in Christ. To being okay with being the person that God made us. Surrendering to Him and trusting in Him and allowing Him to develop those gifts in our life. Will you pray with me today? Lord, You are so good. And we are so undeserving of the gifts that You had given us. But we praise You for them. And we thank You that You manifest those things so real and so true. Lord, would You help us to find our spiritual gifts, to understand those blessings, those grace gifts that You've given, us, given to us, and to use them for the edification of the body of Christ for the church. Thank You for loving us, for being patient with us, for walking alongside us as we discover these gifts. It's in Your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.